Gary DePaul with Unlabeled Leadership. Welcome to episode 29, Don Kirky Connects with Others. Here's a shout out to those listeners in India, specifically in Haryana, Tamil Nadu, Maharashtra, Karnataka, and West Bengal. With that, let's get started. Don Kirky is a friend and colleague who I've known for just under 20 years. It's been, I'd say, about 18 years. I met him in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, when I went there to interview for a position at Johnson Controls. Since then, we've presented at conferences together, and we both worked at Lowe's Home Improvement for a while. Currently, Don is the principal consultant for Trinity Creek Group. It's a consulting group he's had for a long time, and he's an associate graduate faculty member in the Department of Educational Learning at the University of North Carolina, Charlotte. While at Lowe's, Don and I both served on the board for the International Society for Performance Improvement Charlotte chapter, and we both have served as the president in that, in that chapter. Don is my go-to expert on management, and we have had a number of conversations about leadership, which is why he is on this show. Oh, and one other thing about Don, there's a connection with International Society for Performance Improvement, ISPI, that we have. We're both colleagues of Judy Hale, who appeared on the fourth episode, and Don was one of the people that served on the kitchen cabinet meeting or committee with Judy Hale, where they formed the certification for ISPI called Certified Performance Technologist, CPT. If you are in an organization that struggles with change management, organizational development, strategic leadership development, and even workforce performance improvement, Don's a person you might want to contact because he is exceptional both at the strategic and at the tactical levels in those areas. Part 1. Being vulnerable and getting to know others builds trust and relationships. In my book, Nine Practices of 21st Century Leadership, I identified seven principles that were found from doing an analysis of several leadership books. This particular principle that we refer to in this episode is called connecting with others. The three parts of this episode are based on beliefs that fall under this particular principle. In this scene, Don talks about the meaning of vulnerability and how it relates to building trust and relationships. Here's Don. It is not enough to just direct people that work for you or with you. You have to build a relationship because you are asking them to do things that they may find uncomfortable. You are asking them to trust you. Building trust becomes a critical part of of leadership. I think that one of the critical elements in building trust is being vulnerable. And that is not to say that you should be self-centered or self-absorbed or that you should lay 
uh, all of your worries, pains, and internal conflicts on your employees or, or your coworkers. But there are times when you have to acknowledge the things that you don't know. There are times when you have to acknowledge that you're conflicted. There are times when you have to acknowledge what is happening in your personal life that explains your behavior at work. And so I, I think uh, vulnerability is critical. I think there's a real limit because there is too much sharing, too much vulnerability comes off as being self-centered or self-absorbed or even narcissistic. And that's not the intention. The intention is to build honest relationships with coworkers so that you can work through both difficult and hard things, as well as uh, celebrating the good stuff. That is very much key to what you're talking about. And there is a slight difference between saying, well, I got this ache in my back. Oh, I'm miserable. I hate life, <laughs> you know, to that extreme. But being able to say things like, I'm not too sure how to handle the situation and how we should move forward just gives permission for other people to express and step in. There is a moment for experience. Uh, the ache in the back. It has to be contextual. So, you know, that's a, I recall an incident at, at work where I snapped at a coworker and, you know, and I, and I went back within a, just a couple of minutes and apologized to her and acknowledged that I was in some physical pain. I looked at my day and reorganized it so that I didn't spend a lot of time interacting with people because I knew I did not have the psychological strength because the physical strength was limited. One of the things that I uh, read recently, and I and I recall sharing this with you, was uh, Brene Brown in a in a recent podcast said, "Vulnerability minus boundaries is not vulnerability." I like that because she recognizes that there is limits and boundaries around vulnerability. It is critical. If I am asking people to exert energy, if I am asking them to give their best, they want to know me as a person. And that does require that we build trust. And that trust and that relationship really require a level of vulnerability, a, a personal element to, uh, to this work relationship. And I recall when I first became a, a supervisor, essentially, I was encouraged not to have any relationships with the people who work for me, because at any moment, I, could, I might have to fire them. It was terrible advice. <laughs> it's as if you would compromise your role because you're on good terms and you value the people and you have a friendship. That's a terrible belief that just isn't realistic. You still can terminate people. You still can judge people while having a friendship. It presumes that I did not have the maturity to be able to make fair judgments between people that I cared about. Yep. That basic premise is one that I, uh, that I reject. When you say vulnerability minus boundaries is not vulnerability, what's an example of a boundary? We've all worked with people who share too much. It's still a work relationship. It is a relationship. And, and for many of us who have worked with the same people for some time, those are rich, deep friendships as well as work relationships. But there is a point at which you have moved way beyond professionalism. And 
moved into therapy. In most cases, I'm not, I, I have to think about this one, Gary, but I am uncomfortable when your conversations with the people who work with you or for you become therapy sessions. I think that they've probably missed the mark in that case. With vulnerability, vulnerability is different from just honesty, transmitting what you're thinking and feeling. And one boundary that I just thought of was that you're not going to divulge information that is confidential shared with you if you're at a management level. And there's specific reasons why you cannot share everything that's going on, all the knowledge you have. That's a little different from vulnerability. I was also thinking that this is not, you can't just flip a switch into radical vulnerability. And I, I was working in a very large corporation. In order for the leaders to begin to connect better with their employees, uh, the, we trained all of the leaders on how to craft what we called their leadership journey or their leadership story, which was a story about what elements in their life shaped their approach to leadership and why it is that they valued some things and didn't value others. We encouraged all of the leaders to construct this, then share it with their employees now, there was a notoriously cold and distant senior vice president who took this to heart and began one of his monthly staff meetings by explaining in incredible detail, very vulnerably and very personally, the pains and the challenges that had shaped him as the leader that he was. And then he sat down and proceeded to continue with the entire, with the rest of the staff meeting. There had been no preamble and there was no follow-up. He just delivered it as he was, he had been encouraged to do. That afternoon, three employees called either HR or the EVP that was above this man to ask if he was dying or if there was some terrible tragedy going on in his life because it was so uncharacteristic. It's a reminder that you don't just flip the switch. You begin to do personal disclosure slowly and carefully. <laughs> I, I like how you said there, there, there was no preamble. And it's, it's one thing to share your personal story, your thoughts and beliefs, and how you came to be the way you are, some of the guiding principles and some of the things that have helped you develop your approach to management and, and such. It would be a little bit more helpful if you'd said, I am trying to become better at leadership and better at communicating with the people that work with me. And I'd like to try some things with you. I'd like for you to help me. That's a vulnerable approach. Just jumping in and telling everything out of the blue and then suddenly stopping and saying, okay, let's get down to business and act like you, nothing had happened. In that context, I got the opportunity to hear a number of really good examples. And, and yeah. people who did good examples essentially said, you know, said, uh, I would like to explain how it is that I arrived at my general leadership philosophy so that you understand how we can work together, but also so that you can understand my blind spots and my own weaknesses. 
And in that context, it was a great uh, conversation. And I participated in a number of them. And some of them were powerful. Most of them were, in fact, were powerful and moving. So it is a good strategy if it's properly positioned. <laughs> Part two, sharing your mistakes builds credibility. When you hide mistakes and others suspect this, you lose credibility. But when you share mistakes, you gain credibility. And this might have something to do with how sharing mistakes exhibits honesty and moral growth. By telling others things that you have done, you model and acknowledge errors are acceptable and that you don't need to carry a facade that makes you perfect. Don has some insight into how sharing your mistakes not only builds credibility, but helps you connect with others. Here's Don. One of the things that I continue to research is this element of humility in, in leadership. I want to begin, actually, by giving you a good working definition of humility, because humility is not declaring, I am a worm, I am worthless. Charles Spurgeon, the famous 19th century English preacher, defined humility. He said, in fact, true humility is a forming of a just estimate of oneself. And I like that because that's saying, here's who I am. I am not going to boast of things that I cannot do. I am going to recognize both my strengths and my weaknesses, so I won't deny the things that I am good at. But it is a recognition that none of us is perfect. None of us can do it all. In that context, it is helpful for others, particularly, to recognize that they all know that they are working for a an imperfect human being. And I think that pretending anything else is actually destroys your credibility in the long run. Nobody is perfect. If you tell me that you are perfect repeatedly, I am just going to spend my time looking for examples of, of your imperfection. So it is not inappropriate for me to acknowledge both strengths and weaknesses. The other thing is in acknowledging the things that I don't do well or that I struggle with or that are harder for me, I can and ought to surround myself with people who have those strengths that match my weakness so that I can leverage them. And in my vulnerability, again, in my willingness to admit my less than perfection, they are usually willing to step up and help. Human beings uh, have that predilection. It's appropriate to leverage that. People will give you a whole lot of grace if you are prepared to admit that you need help. It's one thing the, to have the belief about your estimates of yourself and where your strengths are, where your challenges are, where your blind spots are, but it has to be verbalized. It has to be congruent. Your thoughts and feelings need to be congruent with your behaviors and the words you say for humility to really occur. It's, it's not enough just to think it and then act another way as if you don't have some limitations. Coupled with that, Gary, I think is this idea that we need to ask for and seek honest feedback from not just the person that we work for, but the people we work with and those who, uh, who work for us. 
Now, not all of them will give you honest feedback, but enough of them will that you can build a better understanding of how you are perceived. Uh, you know, this is an ongoing struggle for all of us to understand how people actually see us. If you have looked at any of the research and if you look at the results of 360 feedback, our self image is often out of alignment with how others perceive us. As an aside and an interesting aside, it's your colleagues, those your peers at your level who tend to judge you the most harshly. Those who work for you and those that you work for tend to think more highly of you than you do. <laughs> uh, so uh, if, if you're looking for tough uh, feedback, if you're looking for honest feedback, go to your colleagues. They're probably going to be harder on you and more direct than those who work for you or those that you work for. I really like what you're saying. You know, it's another way of building credibility when you're able to ask for and seek honest feedback, or at least seek feedback that you can handle. But if you're accepting of what the other person says, and you thank them for sharing, and you act upon what they share, then that seems to build credibility is a another way of acknowledging your limitations and really growing with the team. Gary, that reminds me of Jim Collins's famous book, Good to Great, uh, in that he outlines this concept of level five leaders. And level five leaders are both humble and confident and passionate about the purpose of their organization. And so for him, confidence and humility are not contradictions. And I, uh, I think that brings us back to this idea of a just or a right estimate of, my, of, you, of oneself, that level five leaders recognize who they are, what they're good at, what they are not good at, and they confidently move forward. You need a certain level of confidence, a certain uh, psychological re resilience in order to be able to ask for blunt feedback from those above you, below you, and beside you. It is much more powerful to be able to ask someone and have them tell you and maturely receive it versus a blind way of doing it. To do that, though, you have to have trust. And to have trust, you have to be vulnerable. You have to share your mistakes and acknowledge your limitations and just give people permission to either verify or confirm what you're saying. You know, it's, it's so much stronger and it builds such a more powerful environment when you can ask and receive somewhat honest feedback from other people. The thing that I would add, I, I think, in here is to have the confidence to evaluate difficult feedback and recognize whether it is in fact accurate, whether it is something that should be fixed or changed, or whether it is so integral to you that, that you're not prepared to release it. Because there are people who will give you feedback about things that bother them, but are in the final analysis inconsequential. And there are people who will give you profound feedback that may very well sh shape and change your life for the good. A good thing to do is triangulate and get confirmation or verification from other people when people give you feedback. 
Absolutely. I think about uh, some of the 360 feedback that I have gotten in my career, and there is occasionally an outlier. There are 12 people under you, 11 of them think you're wonderful, and one of them thinks you're a horrible human being. It's easy to become obsessive about the one who, and wondering who the one is, uh, but that is not helpful either. This is Uh, It is a matter of triangulation, as you say. It's a matter of the numbers as well. You're not going to please everybody, or if you are pleasing everybody, you're probably not doing your work as successfully as you need to. Part 3. Celebrations build community, connect events to values, renew commitment, promote social support, and improve everyone's well-being. Connecting with others isn't just about a one-on-one relationship. It's about connecting with groups at various levels. This includes a team, a department consisting of teams, a business unit consisting of departments, and an organization consisting of business units. Celebrations are a way to build community. To discuss this, Don has some good insight into what this means. Again, here's Don. Gary, I think it really is important that that we celebrate, start with celebrating those things that we value or that advance the purpose of the organization that that we're associated with. I think that's critical. I I recall a, uh, a, a new supervisor I was working with who every day made sure that uh, at least several times a day he would go Uh, by each of the employees who worked for her, and she would provide some kind of compliment. In the end, those compliments began to have no value. When someone says, good job, you showed up on time, unless that's an extraordinary occurrence, uh, it probably becomes empty and shallow. So I you do need to uh, match this to valuable work. I need to recognize and celebrate the things that are going on. Part of that, as I think about it, there are those of us, and I've occasionally fallen into this trap, that are heads down working hard. And if we are in a leadership position, we need to look up, we need to look around, we need to be aware, and we need to recognize the achievements and the successes of of our people. Many of the times, those that recognition of achievement or success can just be a word or a phrase or a pat on the back or a shout out. It doesn't have to be big and elaborate. But I think in the life of an organization, there are times when real celebration needs to happen. I think of times when I've been involved in massive tens of and hundreds of million dollar projects. When those are finished, you absolutely do want to celebrate. You want to recognize people who made key contributions. If possible, you want to reward them. And that's really important. What comes to my mind as I think about that as well is... I am not a party person. I am not the person to organize your celebration. I recognize that as as one of the things that I don't do well. But in every organization, there's someone who loves that stuff. You need to find that person and and uh, give them a little a small budget and uh, and turn them loose from time to time, uh, so so that they organize some kind of celebration or recognition. 
some things I was hearing from you is that when we celebrate the big and small is that we're celebrating things that advance and, and help us progress, move forward. It's important that when you give compliments, when you celebrate something someone has done, you need to be sincere with it. It should not be just something trivial, but it could be expressing appreciation for what people are doing and that this could be small, this can be big, or this could be part of a formal process. Not to pick on uh, sports, but I recall uh, one of my sons was in cross country and for one of his earliest meets, he was given a 32nd place ribbon. I appreciate that they were trying to encourage all of the people. A 32nd place ribbon really doesn't do it for most of us. And it almost devalues recognition and reward when you start handing out an award for being 32nd place. Now, it was hard. Cross-country is grueling, and I am, and he should be celebrated even for completing that. He went on to become much better later. At the time, it struck me the, the, almost the absurdity of, uh, of a 32nd place ribbon. It'd be a little bit different if that if you received that ribbon, but but it was out of ten thousand people, and you can say you were in the top five percent or one percent or whatever. But a thirty-second place ribbon, yeah, that sounds um, just doesn't sound right. I think it was out of a field of fifty or sixty. So you know, so maybe he maybe he almost beat half, and I I was proud of him, and he should be justly proud of this. So I don't mean to demean anybody's. Uh, activities uh, or anybody's achievements. But at the same time, there is, uh, as we've been talking about all of these things, there is a balance. There's a balance between how vulnerable you should be. There is a balance about sharing mistakes. And there is also a balance about celebration and recognition. And because if you overdo it, it devalues it. It needs to be something of value. Part four, an essential part of management. Mary Parker Follett, a pioneer in the field of organizational design, defined management as the art of getting things done through other people. To be effective at management, you really have to learn this art. And Don has some advice for us on how we can improve our art of getting things done through others. Here's Don. As a leader, your job is, in fact, to work through others. Your success is not just yours. It is the work of all of those who work under you, whether it is a single person or an entire division working for you. Ultimately, your job is to get work done through all of these people. And the only way that you can get that done is by pouring yourself into them, helping them become as good as you are in everything that you are good at, while helping them compensate for any weaknesses that you might have. And so the concept of coaching is so important as well for you to ultimately help them be accomplish what they need to get done. 
Many of us think about coaching as helping rectify people's weaknesses or, or correcting people's mistakes. But if the ultimate goal of coaching is people's success, and if they truly believe that you are coaching them so that they can be successful, then they are far more likely to, to take your advice. They are far more likely to take your direction. And they are much more likely to change behavior. I am prepared to do a whole lot personally for someone who I clearly know has my success in mind. If I am told that my behavior is not sufficient, my work is not up to scratch, and that I am embarrassing my leader, I am probably not very motivated to help them. My thanks to Don Kirky. If you'd like to leave a comment or ask a question, go to unlabeledleadership.com. Click the message icon and you can leave a voicemail for up to one minute. Maybe I'll play it on the air. Thanks to all of you who have contributed to the show. All your contributions help with production and production expenses. And mostly, thank you for listening to each of these episodes. Until next time, lead on.